2: So the roads around the lower mainland. We had talked about this being perhaps version number two of that Snowmageddon that we had uh, way back, oh, only a couple of weeks ago, not even really way back. But uh, Linda Annis at the time was one of those who called for a summit, uh, kind of a gathering of local uh, leaders, mayors, uh, politicians to talk about what can be done. You know so we don't have any problems on the roads like we had in the past well linda Annis is back with us now city uh councillor in surrey linda thanks for joining us
3: good afternoon my pleasure
2: uh so this is part two uh how did we do
3: well i think this time we did a little bit better in that more people stayed home the communications were better And as I hear, downtown Vancouver and many parts of Surrey, there's not much traffic out there and not much traffic, for that matter, anywhere in Metro Vancouver, except on the main road. So I'm so pleased that people were listening, decided to work at home or make alternative arrangements so that they didn't have to go out today.
2: You know, I'll I'll tell you my experience, and that was uh, taking a bus and then SkyTrain in from uh, Clayton Heights into downtown Vancouver. And it took two hours and 15 minutes. I thought it might take three hours. That's how much time I gave myself. But it is what it is. Uh, I did see a few buses uh, spinning tires. One uh, just uh, to the east of 176 had problems getting up the hill. Uh, So they're still out there. Are these type of issues ever going to be solved? Or do we kind of just, as you say... Uh, kind of uh, agree that the messaging, at least this time, is better?
3: The messaging was better this time and people were, took a more proactive approach to staying home or those that ventured out making sure that they had adequate snow tires. But the job still isn't done. There's so many roads that were not sanded the way that they should have been or, or salted. Um, the main roads seemed better, but many, many of the secondary roads were impassable. And you know, quite frankly, it's very dangerous, and we need to be taking a better approach to this, which is why I've continually called for gathering the municipal leaders, ICBC, provincial government, and other key stakeholders together to come up with a comprehensive plan uh, for the Lower Mainland. I know oftentimes people that are traveling through jurisdictions will see one area is doing a great job, and as soon as they cross over, things aren't looking quite so good.
2: Linda Annis, uh, Surrey City Councillor, you made that call for that summit uh, back when we had our first snowfall on a Tuesday afternoon. And I seem to remember you took hours to get home to South Surrey from uh, way downtown. Uh, So (laughs) you know what you're talking about. Um, What has the response been? Because as far as I know, there hasn't been a summit scheduled, has there?
3: There's not been a summit scheduled yet, and I've heard lots of people talking and blaming each other, but that's not what we need to be doing. You know, we all uh, play a part in this uh, role to get uh, our roads and, and sidewalks in better condition, and our bus services and, and airport too. Uh, but we need to work collaboratively. There's no point in pointing fingers, but let's just get together and make a plan. Uh, as you mentioned, I had lots of time to think about it. Uh, The last snowfall, I was in my car for nine and a half hours. So plenty of time to contemplate uh, this whole initiative.
2: Well, thank you so much for updating us. And we still look forward to hearing details on if and when that summit actually comes around. Linda Annis, thank you and uh, all the best for the holidays.
3: All the best to you as well.
2: You could take a look at the situation on transit this morning around Vancouver you could take a look at BC ferries with a few sailing cancellations and delays. But none of that compares to just how bad things are still right now at the Vancouver International Airport. And it's not just for people flying into or around Vancouver. This is a hub, not a big hub, but a hub for Asia Pacific, the West Coast, and for other airlines coming right into, uh, into Vancouver. And everything has basically ground to a halt. And some of the stories that you're hearing out of YVR are ugly. This is one. We talked with a guy, Barry Wong, who lives in Los Angeles and was trying to get home to L.A. last night, 8 o'clock. And guess what? This afternoon, he's still in Vancouver. It's a long tale and not a good one at that. But we had a chance to catch up with Barry Wong on his flight from Air, by Air Canada, an Air Canada flight from YVR down to Los Angeles and ask uh, just what's been going on, Barry?
0: It started at 8.20. That was the time that we were originally supposed to take off. Uh, But the flight got delayed to about 9.30. Uh, We boarded the flight. uh, And we were just sitting at the gate for a long time. Um, it was around 10-ish and then we all got, all the passengers got a text message from Air Canada saying that the flight was canceled while we were still on it. So, you know, everyone was puzzled, confused, and then the crew let us know that, um, the flight was canceled and that we could deboard the plane. So a bunch of us just left the plane. Uh, and as we were leaving the plane and heading t- back towards like the ticket encounters, um, the captain called us all back because he had called uh, Air Canada corporate offices, asked them why their flight was canceled. And they said, they said it was canceled by error.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So he, he, the captain was like, oh, the flight was canceled in error. We're still gonna take off tonight. So come back to the plane. Um, so then we all got back to the plane. And um, because some passengers had deboarded, they had to do another recount of the seats. So they made us all de-board again so that they can recheck us in with our passports and boarding passes. So we had to like get back on the, on the flight, like this was our mm-hmm. third time. They finally got us into the de-icing um, a few hours later and um, the trucks ran out of the de-icing liquid.
2: <laughs>
0: wow. So we couldn't, yeah, we couldn't get de-iced at all. Um, so we sat there on the tarmac for hours at that time. It was maybe like three, four in the morning. Um,
2: watching it snow heavily out the window.
0: Yeah. Like the snow was just coming down really hard. I mean, you can just look out your window and the the window was just getting covered by snow. Like the whole window was just covered in like one to two minutes.
2: Wow. And you're just yeah. trying to get home on a simple flight to L.A.
0: Yeah, short flight. It's supposed to be a short flight.
2: Okay, so that would have been uh, about a three-hour flight max, probably even shorter than that. Uh, did you eventually? Yeah. Uh, what landed you back in the airport? Uh, and where where do you stand now?
0: When we finally got cleared of that snow, and we could start heading to the gate, that's when the captain came back on. and and, and announced to everybody that they gave our gateway to a different plane because that plane had been sitting on the tarmac for 13 hours. Wow. So at that time, the passengers were just so upset, you know. I had one passenger next to me. She was hysterically crying because she had gone through this the night before. And the flight that she was on the night before, she was stuck on the tarmac for six hours. And then (laughs) now she's going through it again. Um Were there any children or Uh,
2: elderly people on this flight?
0: Yes, there was. They were very confused. They were talking to the staff, you know, the flight attendants, um, because the announcements that the captain was making, his uh, official announcement from the airline, uh, the one that he's obligated to make, was confusing to a lot of the passengers. So, and uh, particularly this one elderly lady, um, Yeah, so she was just really confused, trying to get some answers. She really wasn't mobile at all. She was probably in her 80s. She had a a big walking stick. Um, Definitely felt bad for her.
2: What was the flight crew like? Were they helping out uh, with some of the people that seemed uh, the most in need? Yeah,
0: yeah. I actually have to say the Air Canada flight crew did a really great job. They did the best that they could under these circumstances because it was completely out of their control, you know, with the weather totally out of their control and then they couldn't really do anything about the airport. Um, And people were getting upset at them. So they did the best that they could. I, they were like comforting this one woman next to me who had an emotional breakdown. She had a panic attack. Um, They came and like took care of her and and comforted her. Uh, No, the flight attendants were amazing. They took care of everybody really well.
2: And what as about, best
0: as they could.
2: Sure. What about the uh, airline now? What is the last thing you've heard, if anything, from Air Canada?
0: The, uh, I'm still waiting. Well, I'm still waiting to get rebooked on a flight. When we finally got to a gate, it took three times to get, to get us a gate. They, the crew said that there are agents waiting at the gate and that we would be rebooked within 30 to 40 minutes. It has been over, it's been almost three hours now.
2: I still haven't gotten rebooked. That's Barry Wong. He lives in Los Angeles, flying back home.
1: Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: Just before the break, we were hearing from Barry Wong, a man living in Los Angeles, who was hoping to return home last night around, oh... Sometime before midnight, 8 o'clock was the flight out of Vancouver if it did fly. But guess what? It's uh, now Monday afternoon, about 19 minutes after 4. Guess where he is? Hmm. Vancouver, still waiting. Still waiting to hear if he's going to be placed on another flight. And his story is just one of many that we're hearing out of YVR. Global News reporter Emily Lazatin has been following some of these, some of the stories out at YVR. She was on the Jill Bennett Show earlier and was checking in with a man, another man, who was stuck on a plane.
1: I did speak with a YVR spokesperson just to get anything from them as to what I can report because, um, you know, I said what is going on here. I'm seeing delays and cancellations, but there's a there is a ground stop in effect. So essentially, um, anything that is coming into YVR uh, is supposed to come into YVR is not arriving it has been canceled from whatever airport that is any flight that's already in the air can land into y can land into YVR. so we've seen not too many arrivals we're seeing more planes take off uh i've asked what i can relay on to our viewers um they're still working on that messaging but the message from this morning still remains the same if you don't have to be here uh, don't be at the airport but you can imagine that's frustrating because people want to find out when they can leave yeah. And to do that, you know, sometimes you do maybe perhaps need to talk to a ticket agent and not just wait by your phone.
2: Kind of a silly thing to say. Uh, you know, if you're at the airport, you're there because you need to be there. Uh, not uh, not optional. Um, Doug McClary from Delta he is concerned about his son and his family stuck on the tarmac. He also had a chance to talk
4: earlier. I am greatly concerned as I have a son who flew in from Windsor on a... Uh, an airline uh, and he is on the tarmac they arrived at 10:20 last night and they're still in their airplane he with his wife and a one-year-old daughter and the daughter has been going crazy on them of course they, they don't have they're talking about turning off the ventilation in the airplane because they're running out of fuel now i don't know if that means they turn off the heat too, or you know, <laughs> it's a serious situation, and they have no response from anyone on the flight, from the captain or anything about when they may get connected to a gate and get offloaded. They're stuck in that plane, and that plane can't go anywhere. It's Flair Airlines, actually. They're getting a little scared. My son just sent me a text saying, "Dad, do I do I phone the police? Like, what do I do?" They, they, he said. The, the captain's saying, well, we don't have any response from YVR head office or their management. So what do we do?
2: And, you know, we've heard many uh, stories of anxiety and concern from passengers. And that's going to happen after several hours uh, being stuck on a plane on the tarmac. Well, our content producer, Stephen Chang, has been following this. And, Stephen, you've talked with another man, Kenny I-
5: I did, yeah. So Kenny here, uh, he's been tweeting about the whole situation that he's been in as well. He actually flew in from Kuala Lumpur and had a 25-hour travel time, stopping over at Tokyo and then finally landing in Vancouver, only to be stuck at the tarmac since 9 a.m. this morning. Uh, Here's what he had to say about that situation.
6: Uh, About two and a half hours ago, touchdown uh, from Tokyo. uh, Started, I guess, my day about 27 hours ago. And Kuala Lumpur, uh, then had a layover in Tokyo, and then uh, touched down about two and a half hours ago in Vancouver. It was a pretty smooth uh, landing, but once we landed, we've been pretty much just parked on the tarmac here for the last two and a half hours. Um, but yeah, we're just kind of in a bit of a holding pattern, looking out the window, seeing a bunch of, uh, I guess, the cleaning crew that are still working away, cleaning away at the runway, but yeah, there's no real kind of update of when we'll move next or what kind of happens next, We're just kind of in a parking lot here and this is my my final destination i'm trying to get home here after a long day
5: what are the emotions that people are feeling right now in the plane
6: you know what i'm, I'm with uh, ANA and they've been you know outstanding giving regular updates every 20 minutes i think the the overall um consensus is that you know it's a snowstorm and everyone's pretty pretty calm and relaxed there's some people that are sleeping but um Obviously, just looking on Twitter, it looks like there's some other people that have been kind of stuck for quite a long time without any sort of updates. But I think overall, it's a pretty um, – everyone's kind of, like, relaxed and patient. Um, tempers aren't running high or anything like that. It's quite relaxed.
5: Okay, that's good. So now at this point, you're just waiting to see if there's any updates on uh, when you can proceed to a gate and
6: finally get off the plane. Is that right? Yeah, I think that the big thing is, like, how how much longer do we have? And I think a lot of other people, too, like, this is a – some people are obviously coming home for the holidays, they've got other um, you know, connections and those are not going to happen, but, but yeah, I think the, the big thing is like, when will we start moving again? And then once we start moving, when we get to the terminal, what happens next? I think that we've all kind of figured out that there's this baggage situation. So I think that we're bracing ourselves for like, what happens after this, are we going to be kind of going from the tarmac, tarmac sort of holding pattern into a baggage holding pattern? And is there going to be a way that we can maybe just, like, lever bags and come back tomorrow? That's what some people are kind of talking about beside me.
5: Kenny, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. So,
2: Stephen, that is uh, Kenny, who is stuck on the tarmac. You've got a little bit of an update, though, from him, don't you?
5: That's right, because at the end of that interview, um, he kind of spoke too soon, and people started getting upset because they were hitting the three-hour mark at that point. And it was only until about half an hour ago that he finally got off the plane and is waiting for his luggage. So... Definitely took a while, but he was basically in the plane the whole day. And so let's
2: yeah, let's do the math. How many hours on that?
5: Oh, my God. So was, let's say around 9 a.m. is when they landed, and right now we're at 4 o'clock. So basically almost a full workday.
2: And we also heard, uh, you know, there were others 13 hours being stuck uh, on a plane or uh, with the whole situation of trying to get a plane uh, to fly out and counting. So what a mess. Just absolutely amazing in the worst way possible. By the way, um, here's what YVR is now saying. Uh, Passengers who are expecting to fly today and this week are advised to check with their airline directly on the status of the flight. We're asking people, of course, please not come to YVR unless you, get back to the word, absolutely have to. There you go. YVR, what a mess, and uh, still trying to recover. Well, this time of year, we do have a chance to have a year in review with various people. Those mostly who have had made, you know, an impact or made the headlines or have a place in the news cycle. Well, one such person, of course, is Pierre Polyev, who has been making himself known to Canadians after winning the leadership of the Conservative Party, taking his place at the helm of the official opposition. He's joined us to reflect on 2022 and look ahead to the new year. Pierre Polyev, what have Canadians learned about you?
7: Well, I think it's that I'm obsessed with uh, fighting inflation. Um, The cost of government has been driving up the cost of living, uh, with a uh, half trillion dollars of inflationary deficits, bidding up goods we buy and interest we pay. And uh, that has been my major preoccupation. We've got to get the cost of government under control, cut the waste, get the deficit and the inflation down. I think that probably comes from my own uh, beginnings. I We didn't grow up poor in Calgary, but we, we certainly weren't rich either. I was you know, born of a 16-year-old unwed uh, mother who had to put me up for adoption to two school teachers. Um, and uh, they always taught me that, you know, it didn't matter where I came from, mattered where I was going. And um, that's the kind of country I want my kids to inherit. Um, and including my little boy Cruz here is just playing on the piano. You might be able to hear him in the background. I do hear him. Um, he's a real, yeah, he's he's a real, um, uh, it's a real masterpiece. So you can, as you can tell, but uh, listen, I think, uh, you know, I'm a born bred uh, Western Canadian. I come from pretty typical suburban Calgary neighborhood and I just want this to be a country where people feel like they can work hard, buy a home, start a family, save for the future, have a secure retirement. And uh, that all of those basic um, things you took for granted are, are under attack right now, and I'm fighting back uh, to restore them.
2: You mentioned inflation. There's also interest rates, and uh, you touched on the housing crisis. But many of your critics would point out that this is really an international Thing and not a Canadian issue. What do you say to that?
7: Well, a couple of things. First of all, we don't import our housing from the rest of the world, and yet somehow land prices have gone up by twenty to thirty percent in just over a year. We the land uh, is not something we bring in from other parts of the world. We have it right here at home. Second thing I would point out is that countries that did not engage in insane deficit spending over the last two years, countries like Switzerland, don't have inflation crises. Their, their inflation is very modest. So the decision to to spend vastly more than we needed has brought a real a burden onto people. Now, we all agree that we had to spend on COVID, but we didn't have to spend a half a trillion dollars, 40% of which did not even go to COVID. And, we, and the COVID money we did spend didn't have to go to dead people and prisoners And uh, we didn't have to have $4 billion of overpayments. We didn't have to have a $54 million wasteful COVID um, Arrive Can app. We didn't have to increase the budget of Canada Senate by 70%. All of these spend expenditures are being passed on through inflation and higher prices for Canadians. And I want to cap government spending, cut the waste, lower the tax burden, and unleash our businesses to build more, create more, and provide more affordable goods.
2: Are you able to reach out to Canadians with that message? Maybe even people who have previously voted Liberal and even NDP?
7: Look, I, I can. We, When I ran my leadership campaign, we signed up 312,000 members, many of whom had never been a party member before. They'd been Green, NDP, Liberal, or have never voted. And they were inspired by my message that they could take back control of their lives and that they could once again... Um, live in a country where hard work pays off and you can climb the ladder. And I think there's a yearning for that. You know that young guy living in his mom's basement at age 35 because home prices are up over a million bucks in Vancouver? He wants a place to live. I'm proposing solutions like incentivizing our municipalities to speed up and lower the cost of building permits, that that young guy can go out and get a home, start a family, and build his life. These are the kinds of inspiring, aspirational messages that I'll be taking to Canadians over the next several months. And I believe that it will be enough to win the election.
2: And if we had you over around a Christmas dinner, are you going to be all doom and gloom? Or is there something that uh, you feel optimistic about heading into the next year?
7: I feel very optimistic right now. Uh, We have um, the best country in the world. Look, we have second biggest landmass the most educated and diverse population. We're next to the most lucrative economy in the world. We have four major coasts. We have the third biggest supply of oil, the sixth biggest supply of natural gas, the sixth biggest supply of lithium for electric car batteries. We have um, brilliant newcomers, 500,000 brilliant newcomers every year. We have incredible potential as a country, but we are being held back by the Trudeau government. Now, that's the problem you can fix. And so we're going to fix it. We're going to get a new government that will unleash the potential of our country and let uh, let our, our, our people fulfill their dreams.
2: Let's uh, reflect on 2022 for you. Big year, obviously. Uh, you've taken the helm of the Conservative Party. But what other things do you think or could you give yourself credit for?
7: In the last year, I think that I think that I have brought forward the intense frustrations of people um, particularly young people who want the ability to own a home. No one was talking about that before I came onto the scene. And I've also offered solutions, you know, like for example, um, my proposal is that we would link the number of infrastructure dollars big city governments get for to the number of houses they allow to be built so that they'll speed up and lower the cost of building permits. And, I'm going to uh, require that all federally funded transit stations uh, have pre-approved high-density housing around them. I'm going to sell 15% of our unused federal buildings to turn that into housing. I'm going to encourage First Nations communities who are uh, that want to that want to uh, to um, make uh, housing pro- projects possible, like the Squamish have done in Vancouver, uh, where they've allowed 6,000 new units to be built for the benefit of their people. So I'm going to unleash a big building boom in the housing sector, and that's going to mean young people will have places to live, to start families, to build their dreams, home equity, collateral, and an economic future. That's what I put on the table. It was the most important thing I could have put on the table in 2022, and now in the years ahead, let's make it a reality.
2: Now, it's just Bruce Claggett and Pierre Polyev talking. If you had a chance to redo or re-say something that you've done or said maybe that you regret over the past year, what would it be?
7: Oh, geez, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a long list in an average year. I, I'm sure i made my share of mistakes, but I um, can't think of the, the, the one I would take uh, this year um, more than others. I think I would just say that um, every day I ha- we, we all have to I almost like prosecute ourselves to make sure that we're doing the best we can to remember the people who are less fortunate. Um and to remember also that we're not perfect in government. Um, I think um you know I think politicians should mm-hmm. learn to use the term the three words I don't know more often because we don't have all the answers to every question. And I think we all could use more humility in accepting that. So that, that I think that from time to time, like every other politician, yeah. I could use those three words I don't know to show the humility that I don't have all the answers and none of us does. But by listening to the people, we'll get the best ones.
2: For the leader of the Conservative Party, what are Canadian values?
7: You know, I, the, the great thing about Canada is that everybody is different. Um, I, I think the most important value is freedom. And, uh, you know, the great Prime Minister Laurier was asked, what's Canada's nationality? Mm-hmm. And he said Canada is free and freedom is its nationality and what he meant by that is it's, we're not a Scottish people, we're not an English people, we're not a French people, we're not a, uh, any particular ethnicity. We are, we are the whole world and that was even true back then um, and so that means that there is no one set of values that just defines every single Canadian but we all have the freedom to, to live out our own values with as little interference as possible by the state, as long as freedom to me means the ability to do what you want as long as you don't hurt anyone else. And that has allowed us to come to this country and practice Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, or no religion at all. It has allowed us to um, to live uh, our, our own lives in our own way. And I think that's the greatest thing about Canada is you can just be yourself and everyone will let you be and, and live and let live.
2: Is there a place for a social safety net in there and maybe even a improved one?
7: Absolutely. The role of government is to do the things that people cannot do for themselves. And in many cases, people can't provide themselves with healthcare or an income or addiction treatment. Um, and so you need a safe social safety net funded by a prosperous economy that can step in and provide. And um, to do that, um, we need to make sure the money is, delivers results. I don't just believe in writing big fat checks i think we have to focus on making sure we get the best results for the people who need it most we also need to have a booming economy to provide the revenue to pay the salaries of our nurses doctors teachers social workers so absolutely a social core social safety net is required look i wouldn't be where i am without it i I went to a public school i i grew up in a in a neighborhood uh, where uh, you needed to have public roads and public policing. So, um, you know, when you're adopted uh, from a 16-year-old unwed mother, you need a social safety net, and you also need a local family and charity that help uh, get you on your feet and where you're going. I'll never forget where I came from.
2: And yet there are Canadians that are, quite frankly, a little afraid of you. They think that you may have too much flirtation with the extreme right or the alt-right. Is that fair?
7: no. Uh, look, uh, I my, my values are Canadian values, I believe. You know, if, if I were to start a new political party, it would be called the Mind Your Own Business Party. That is to say, every person should be allowed to make their own decisions and live freely as long as they don't harm anyone else. So um, that's why, why I believe we should have less government control over what we say, what we think, what we do with our money, Uh, I basically want to empower Canadians to make their own decisions and live their own lives. The government should only step in and do those things that we can't do for ourselves, health care, education, schools, roads, police, borders, military, etc., but then leave free people to make their own decisions. Um, Right now, we have a prime minister who wants to run everybody's lives. He wants to regulate what you see and say on the Internet. He wants to take an increasing share of your paycheck. He um, wants to... um, force you to download a silly app just across the border and uh, the list goes on I don't want to run your life I want to give you the empower you to run
2: your own life what do we have in store for 2023 are you going to continue to reach out to uh, people what's your what's your goal
7: yeah I want to continue to paint the picture of what the country would look like when I'm prime minister and I think the picture you will see is that it, we will restore the promise that hard work pays off and that we can be a self-sufficient country, again, make things here in Canada. Uh, We learned during COVID that it was a mistake to be over-reliant on the rest of the world. And so what I believe is we need to quickly approve uh, more mines for lithium, cobalt, uh, graphite, and nickel so that we can supply the minerals for electric car batteries here in Canada. We need to approve more hydroelectric dams to have clean electricity, more uh, nuclear power, so that we can decarbonize our electricity grid. We can. We need to supply ourselves with the basic necessities in this abundant land of ours, something we're not doing right now. We need to bring it home, and that's going to be a big part of my message in 2023.
2: Well, we look forward to it. I also look forward to uh, next time you're out to having a chance to have a chat with you, maybe even take you out for coffee.
7: I'd like that very much, Bruce, and uh, it's too bad that I'm not out there now. We could go out and enjoy a nice eggnog uh, and (laughs) a little bit of something strong, a little something strong in there. I never hurt either. You know, Uh, uh, as Churchill said, as Churchill
2: said, alcohol has taken much out of me, but not as much as I've taken out of it. Exactly. And I'll hold you to it. We'll uh, have a chance to uh, chat all the best to you for the holidays and in the year ahead. A new survey for and by coaching firm Finder has found that almost half of Canadians don't really want a gift at Christmas at all. So you can park the car, keep it at home, not take transit. Instead, what they want cash, 49%. Well, Ramona King is a senior financial editor at Finder. And we asked, uh, you know, cash, isn't that a little bit cold?
8: Well, I mean, it's been a tough year, right? We've had a tough few years, but, you know, when we finally thought we were coming out of sort of the, the clampdown and lockdowns so and we sort of could live a little bit, then what hit us? Higher costs. You know, inflation hurt us. It made everything more expensive. And now going into the Christmas and the holiday season, we have people looking at, you know, bigger budgets because we want to spend and spend time with our family and give gifts and, and rejoice, but it costs more. So it, it's kind of like, well... Yeah, OK, I want to give you a gift, but I kind of want that cash back in my hand so I can buy what I want and so I can and pay some bills. And so it, it seems a bit cold, but it's, you know, if, if it's a season of giving and that's what people need, sometimes that's the best thing we can do.
2: It's hard to really complain about money and inflation and interest rates when you're getting a gift that you may not necessarily need or you're trying to force a need in for some item. Cash kind of solves that, doesn't it?
8: Yes. What we are actually found is that, you know, the primary reason, so 49% of our respondents said, yes, I'd, I'd like to have cash. And the biggest reason is they, they want to buy what they want, not have someone else choose that for them. So it just goes to show that, you know, sometimes we get that sweater that's a, bit too small or maybe not the right color and it would just be nice to be able to go out and, and be able to buy what you want and we know that that people are cost conscious now they, they really made sure that they shopped hard during black friday i think we're going to see the same for boxing day sales and if more people get that sort of cash as a gift
2: uh recession still very much on the minds then uh heading into 2023 then
8: absolutely i, I mean we still have you know there's there's about so 30, 35% said they wanted to have, you know, cash enhanced so they can buy what they want. Um, but, you know, 20% said they wanted cash enhanced so they could just spend it on the necessities. I'm talking about housing costs, food, transportation. You know, that's one in five of our respondents, one in five Canadians that just want cash to pay just for their essentials. But for those that are maybe in a bit of a better position, those that are are getting cash because they want to buy, they're still budget shopping. They're still really looking for those deals, trying to find, you know, the best possible way to save a
2: dollar. Now, I know one of the questions on the Finder survey had to do with debt and how long it would take to pay off potential debt. What was the finding? Yes. So we found, we asked, we're saying, hey, you know, you're taking on, you know,
8: this holiday budget. Are you going to go into debt? And yes, one in five said that they would pay through savings, about would had saved and they would pay through that. But 13% of them said, hey, you know, or sorry, 13% said that they were, they had made purchases throughout the years, they weren't going to take on debt. But 35% admitted to, yes, I'm going to take on holiday expenses and I'm going to do it through debt, various forms, a little over 10%. So 13% said, I'm going to carry a balance on my credit card uh six percent said we're going to do the buy now pay later plans of so the the bright pay and the ones that you can pay over time right um five percent we're going to skip paying bills that's probably not the best strategy mm. but you know out. yes 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 i mean that's not a great way of doing uh holiday season just because you're stressed out that's not a great thing to do five percent we're going to borrow from family and friends so i guess here's your present thanks for the dollars you loan me to get your present, but. Um, You know, 3% said they were going to take out a personal loan and 3% were going to use a a payday or cash advance loan.
2: There's a lot of financial hardship out there. The holidays can actually add to that hardship.
8: Yes. There's a lot of expectation to spend in order to show our appreciation, and the reality is we don't have to. You don't have to do 10 presents. You can do one really thoughtful present. You don't have to even buy a present. You can make a present. For the people that I do want to buy, I, I know that I, I purchase gifts for my family. I try and purchase gifts that are going to keep on giving, things that are of use, uh, things that are not frivolous. Um, And a lot of times, you know, the best way to strategize and spend less is to plan your holiday spending. What I call practice smart shopping. Make sure you make a list. Make sure you have a budget. Stick to your budget. Comparison shop. There's a lot. Finders, a comparison site. You know, there's lots of ways to go out there and really shop hard. Make sure you're getting the, the best possible price on that item make sure you read the reviews make sure you're getting good quality for your money and uh, tackle have a plan to tackle your debt if you know you're going to take on debt whether it's credit card or a loan or borrow from friends have a plan on how you're actually going to pay that back if you don't have a plan that that can be extraordinarily expensive
2: you know, you're talking a lot about planning and as you do, I'm starting to feel really guilty because a lot of my shopping has been put off and it's kind of a problem with me. Am I the type of person that's going to be facing the highest costs when it comes to looking for those gifts?
8: Not necessarily. I, and this is it's an interesting that you bring this up, Bruce. You can actually shop strategic and smart, even in brick and mortar and even last minute. But it means take a paper list i don't say have the phone because the paper list forces you to unfold the paper and look at it and say hey did i plan to spend fifty dollars on grandma or was it going to spend 35 because i was going to take that extra 15 and buy my neighbor something because it's been really helpful this year you know it's okay if grandma gets a slightly less expensive gift if you can spread your appreciation out so no you don't necessarily have to spend more or spend frivolously but you do have to plan even if you're doing brick and mortar and even if you're doing last minute I've done those last minute, go into the mall, walk every store, yeah. make sure you look to see what you've got. But if you have that paper list in front of you, it'll keep you on track.
2: I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it tomorrow before I head out.
8: Use your phone, comparison shop, use the paper list to keep you on track.
2: You know, adults are buying toys for themselves. And it is, in fact, the biggest source of growth in the North American industry. Kidults. Yeah, that's a word. Kidults. Who tend to spend more on toys? Well, they have a great fondness for cartoons and for collectibles. We have somebody here on staff. I'm not going to say who, but it rhymes with Stephen Chang. Is into superheroes, and uh, you know that's uh, that's not uncommon. Well, Ken Poe is a local collector and host of Toy Connections on YouTube. Ken, you know, what is going on with this? Is it uh, really a move to go back to our childhood now that times are kind of uh, more difficult?
9: Well, um, first off, thank you so much for having me on the show. But, um, yeah, it very much is, it is exactly what you said, although that movement did start kind of before times got more difficult. But I think things got very visible kind of during the pandemic as people were going on online stores and ordering stuff. So, yeah, kind of a combination of the two things there.
2: You know, it uh, kind of reminds me of uh, the Lego movie, the first one, where they uh, had, you know, dad's Lego. And uh, boy, the son couldn't even come close to it because he was kind of playing with these uh, great uh, kits. You still see Lego as one of those big ones. But uh, what else is out there that uh, really attracts the adults? Well, first
9: off, I'm glad you went Lego Movie and not 40-year-old version, because when you said it reminds me of, I was like, oh, he's going to say 40-year-old version, no. and you went Lego Movie. So I hugely appreciate that. So Lego is obviously the big one that kind of just dominates because it transcends genders, it transcends generations. I mean, for me personally, when I go out there, I see a lot of people who are looking for, you know, Star Wars uh, superheroes, particularly Marvel, Transformers um, has always been big. That's kind of become the big three. And you're, you're seeing a little bit of resurgence from the 80s as well, like with G.I. Joe and Masters of the Universe. Uh, that's kind of more in the action figure sort of like male-dominant market. So that's kind of my quick and dirty answer to the question.
2: You know, it's, uh, I look back at it and I wish I had it around, but it got lost somehow in the shuffle, but it was around until a few years ago. I had one of those big GI Joes, uh, from, oh, the 1970s. Uh, yeah. one of the ones with the, uh, kind of, you know, you could feel the hair, it was kind of like fuzzy and close yeah. to the, uh, yeah. plastic in the yeah. box and it disappeared on me. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it just breaks my heart. Is it, Because of the collectible value, like is there a monetary thing? Is that what's attracting us or is it something else?
9: I mean, monetary value, like once people start, see prices, start seeing prices go up a little bit on the secondary market on things like the lifelike hair and kung fu grip, 70s GI Joe's you just mentioned, we might kind of yeah. go, yeah, like, see, there you go. I took you right back to your childhood in these last grip. three minutes. But yes, um, the things, things like that, like a lot of people would prefer to buy things at retail um, where they can for these modern toys. But when, they, when things hit the secondary market and they go, oh, no, it's starting to spike, I better grab it before for it you know before it goes up too high i would hope that nobody's buying these things hoping that they go up and that they can retire on it like you know old school hockey cards or anything like that because everything kind of has a finite lifespan right you know once this generation or they have a cycle like
2: hockey cards uh, kind of fell off i do have my own hockey cards and a big collection and they were doing nothing for years and then the last uh couple of years they had a little spike and then gone down didn't they
9: Exactly. Like I, I noticed that as well. Like I tried to purchase a Wayne Gretzky rookie card back in 2010 for what I thought was too much. And then 10 years later, people were like, wow, you got a good deal on it. And then things like that are coming back down again. So it's all cyclical. And I don't think toys and action figures are any exception to that.
2: So what is the, I'm, I'm trying to ask you about a chicken and egg question here. Is sure. it the, the toys that come first or the films? And I think of the action heroes, uh, you know, oh. where, where does it start? Yeah.
9: <laughs> so I recall seeing toy like I recall seeing the the toy characters on various forms of media depending on your age group whether it's a film whether it's an animated series whether it's a comic and you go I want that guy from the store you go to the store you look for it so uh, it's a chicken and egg question but usually the media drives the drives the toy then when you're in the market and you've been collecting for a while you might just buy a toy because it looks cool regardless of the media does, does that work Yeah,
2: it does. And people that are coming in right now and asking for, uh, you know, uh, uh, a special Christmas gift. Um, What is the number one thing, the big hot item that adults are looking for? Well, I mean...
9: (laughs) I know what I'm personally looking for but I'm going to defer back to the uh, to the NBC article there with uh, the scooter razor um there I'll just I'll just defer back mm-hmm. to that so that I don't bias my own. I mean for me obviously it's you know the next big hot transformer item or something, you know, um, you know, the greatest optimist prime in the world, whatever that may be. And I'm sure all the transformer collectors are listening to me right now saying you're wrong or that I should be more specific. <laughs> no. But I don't, mean, I don't mean to be deflective, but no answer I give could possibly be even close to right.
2: <laughs> you know, and it's funny because you will have very strong opinions, even with kids, but you bring in the adults and boy, they're going to be uh, divided into two worlds. It's almost like that Marvel and DC thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, the age-old debate. Yeah, no, I'm not going to go there. You know, Ken, thanks so much. It's enlightening, and uh, you're a pleasure to talk with. uh, Thanks so much for spending time.
9: Thank you, and thanks to a guy named Stephen Chang, whose name rhymes with Stephen Chang, (laughs) for uh, making this arrangement. Take care, Bruce. Okay, take
2: care.